0: So I decided that we would return to the Psalms for one more week. Next week is the first Sunday of Advent, and we will begin our Christmas preaching series then. But I personally needed one more uh, sermon in this series, one more week. As I said last week... These Psalms that we've been looking at have been my companions over the last few months. They uh, have become my friends. And so there's a handful of these verses that I have just clung to and prayed repeatedly. So they're very dear to me. So I needed one more week. Um, And one of those verses comes at the end of Psalm 27. So turn there in your Bibles. What David will teach us is what I have been doing myself personally through this series. If David summed up Psalm 27, perhaps he would say, wallpaper your reality with the Word of God. That's actually something that counselor and author, you may know him, David Powlison, David Pallison said that. I'm going to read that quote to you later. I've quoted David Powlison a lot in this series because he too has become one of my friends and my companions over the last several months. So you can check out his book, God's Grace in Your Suffering. It's been a balm to my soul. He just has a way with words. He's very tender, very caring, and that just that kind of seeps through all of his writings. Let me share just a few quotes from this book to pique your interest. He says, God's hand is intimately mixed up in our troubles. He also says, The wisdom to suffer well is like manna. You must receive nourishment every day. You can't store it up, though you do become more familiar with how to go out and find what you need for today. He says, Scripture is custom designed to engage any and all difficulties we face in life. So put your troubles on the table Listen to how our Lord invites us to get personal. Then he says, a sufferer's primal need is to hear God talking and to experience Him uh, purposefully at work, to experience God purposefully at work in your life. Then he says, the Lord knows you. This reality is the single most important thing about you. You are His This truth makes the decisive difference in how you walk down hard roads. The Lord knows you and you belong to Him. And that makes all the difference in how you suffer in this world. So if you're suffering today, if your heart is breaking, if you feel like there's just no hope, along with the Bible, check out this book. Okay, back to Psalm 27, where we will learn how to wallpaper our reality with the Word of God. Look at verse 13. Hear the Word of the Lord. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of Yahweh in the land of the living. If you remember when we were back in this psalm, way back in June... David, in the context, David is surrounded by enemies. People want to kill him. He is under pressure. Life is hard, as David writes this song. He feels forsaken by God, so he turns to the Lord. And after 12 verses detailing all the drama in his life, everything that's happening, David says he's full of faith. He believes that in spite of all the drama in his life, he will see the Lord's goodness in his life. His faith, which is fully aware of his enemies, fully aware of his adversaries, his troubles, fully aware of all the drama, his faith, which is fully aware of the character and the ways and the promises of the Lord, his faith speaks that he will see the goodness of God in his life. No matter what happens David knows that God is good and God does good, what? All the time. Man, I set y'all up for that. Nobody swung. (laughs) God is good and God does good all the time. So David's heart is all over the map in this psalm, like in most of the psalms. And David's feelings are all over the map too. David feels abandoned by God. He feels forsaken He feels like he might be cut off for good. He feels like God is not listening to his prayers. He feels like God has turned away from him. He feels like God is far away. And that's why he prays about these very things. Maybe you can relate to David. Have you ever had a dark night of your soul like this, where you felt like God was far away, God was not listening to you, that he had forsaken you and cut you off for good? I'm willing to bet that you have. We all have, because we're sinners. We live in a broken world. We're not always on in spite of what we think or in spite of what we see on Instagram. We're not always on. We're up. We're down. We're all over the map. We've all been at that place where we're crying out to God and it just seems like he's not listening. We've all been at that place where our feelings dominate our lives, that place where what we feel carries the day. And that's the problem. Our feelings. Listen, our feelings cannot be trusted. Our feelings are not necessarily an indicator of truth and reality. Your feelings, what you're feeling right now in your heart about your life, are not necessarily an indicator of truth or reality. Now, of course, I am not saying that you should not express your feelings to God. You should. You should tell God how you feel. That's exactly what David is doing in Psalm 27. He's saying, I feel forsaken by you. Telling God how you feel is faith. Expressing your feelings to God in prayer is faith. Expressing how you feel to God, exactly how you feel, is an act of faith, of trust. So when David prays like this, like he does in Psalm 27, he hasn't completely emptied his faith tank. David still has some faith because he keeps on praying. He cries out to the Lord because he feels like God has abandoned him. Do you know what that kind of praying is? When you feel like God has abandoned you, you feel like God is not listening, and you keep on praying? It's faith, trust, belief. Faith can pray that way. Faith can pray Like David does in Psalm 27, hide not your face from me, turn not your servant away, don't cast me off, don't forsake me. Now, it may not look like it on the surface, it may not be a polished and shiny faith, it may not be a squeaky clean faith, but it is still faith. Faith keeps crying out even when you feel like God is not listening, like God is not answering your prayers. Faith keeps talking. Faith keeps praying when it seems like God is nowhere to be found. Faith says, I believe, help my unbelief. And so our feelings cannot be trusted. At the end of the day, it's only God's word that we can trust, not our fickle hearts. Listen, we're just not that smart enough to try to figure out life, are we? Although we want to be God, frankly, every one of us would stink at it. Only God and his word can be trusted. Not our hearts, not our feelings, not what we're thinking in our head about what's happening in our lives. Those things cannot be trusted. Only God and his word. Martin Lloyd Jones uh, said, Oh, the havoc that is wrought and the tragedy, the misery and the wretchedness that are to be found in the world simply because people do not know how to handle their own feelings. I'm not sure we would want to live in a society where everyone acted on every one of their feelings. That would be scary. Actually, We are living in a society where everybody acts on their feelings, aren't we? Lord, have mercy. So we can't rely on what we feel. We have to trust God's word. We have to believe his promises. We have to have faith that he is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do in this world. We have to believe that he really is working out all things for our good, Romans 8.28. But there will be times in our lives when we struggle to believe this, right? Times when we struggle to believe that Jesus is present and that he is working things out for our good. Absolutely there will be times like that. We struggle to believe this sometimes. And it's okay in those moments. If all you can do is pray like that father in Mark's gospel who said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Sometimes that's the most spiritual prayer that you can pray. I believe, but would you please help my unbelief? Sometimes you have to join those two verses together. You have to pray, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, but Jesus, help my unbelief. That might be the thing that keeps you from going crazy when your life is spinning out of control, saying, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But Jesus, you've got to help my unbelief. And as we go through times like like this, we can't forget that we need the Holy Spirit's help in order to believe. To believe that God is doing more in our suffering than we can see with our eyes. We need the Holy Spirit to help us grasp the truth that God may take us into a storm that he may take us into darkness. But you must remember that he has purposes for you that sometimes can't be seen. And in those times, you have to see him with the eyes of faith. Now, sometimes you'll hear people say something like this, God will never give you more than you can bear. And to that I say, huh? Really? Do you really believe that? I don't believe that because there have been numerous times in my life when I felt like I had been given more than I could bear. If God only gives us what we can handle, if he only gives us what we could bear, then why do we need him? In my experience, God will give you more than you can bear. God often gives us more than we can bear so that we will trust in him and not trust in our own resources, our own wisdom, our own strength, our own giftings, or our own understanding. Sometimes when you are so overwhelmed with suffering and pain and sorrow and sadness, like David, you may feel like God has let you go. And there may be more truth to that than you realize. Sometimes God just might let us go. Sometimes God might let you go into the darkness, into the night, into the storm. But He is with you, and that makes all the difference. He may let you go into the darkness, but He will not let you go. Matt Smethurst says, Sometimes Christ calms the storm. And sometimes he lets the storm rage and calms his child. Jesus is with you even when you feel like he has let you go. Sometimes God will let you go into some darkness, into some storm. And that's David in Psalm 27. Now, of course, Jesus does not let you go in the sense that he abandons you and leaves you to uh, yourself. That's what David fears in Psalm 27, but that's blasphemy. God never forsakes his children. God never leaves his children. Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. He has promised that to us. But sometimes God will let us go down a path of pain and suffering that we would not choose for ourselves. Sometimes God leads us down a path of sorrow and sadness that we wouldn't choose to walk down. Sometimes he might let us go down a hard path into some storm so that he will be glorified and our faith will blossom. So in his sovereign wisdom, he may take you somewhere you don't want to go or would never plan to go. And honestly, I struggle with that. I struggle with that. That kind of thinking does not come naturally to me. Go into something hard and difficult so that you can be better and God will be glorified and you will grow. No. Give me two sanctification pills in the morning and let me read my Bible and I'm on my way. But that's not what we see in Scripture, is it? So this does not come naturally to me to go into hardship in order to be purified and transformed. But I believe it's what the Bible teaches But I struggle with it. In fact, Jesus himself, we'll see in in our Christmas series, Jesus himself suffered in order to grow so that he would be ready to go to the cross. This is honest faith. Honest faith admits that there is a struggle. Honest faith says, like David in verse 12, don't give me up to my adversaries, but then can turn around and say, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so faith has to be honest if it is to be anything. And Jesus likes honesty. Listen, Jesus can handle you telling him that you're struggling. Jesus can handle you telling him exactly what you're feeling, exactly what you're thinking. P.S. He already knows. You're not going to surprise Jesus by being honest with him. He already knows Jesus is okay with us honestly confessing that we're struggling to believe him. And I think that's how faith comes, is when we get honest with Jesus, when we get honest with him about our fears. When we get honest about our struggles, that's when faith comes, because trust and belief and faith thrives in the environment of honesty when we get honest about everything going in our hearts, Jesus can work with that. All things are possible when we get real with Jesus. He'll have it no other way. Jesus can do some incredible over-the-top, out-of-this-world things in your life, but you've got to be honest with Him. You've got to keep it real with Him. Jesus doesn't do fake. Just be honest. Tell Him how you feel. So faith is simply turning to Jesus honestly with all of your need. And it might include yelling and screaming, like we've talked about in this series, saying, God, I need you to do something right now. No more delays. Right now, Jesus. Sometimes faith raises its voice to Jesus in desperation and says, do something now. Faith is turning to Jesus with all your mess, all your baggage, all your jealousy, all your hatred, all your bitterness, all your family drama, all your questions, all your sins, and saying to Jesus, I don't know how you can pick up the pieces and make something of this, but I believe that you can. I just don't know how you'll do it, but I totally believe that you can because you are good, and you are kind, and you are merciful, and you are gracious, So please help. Faith and trust and belief is you with all of your weakness and need turning to Jesus with all of his self-sufficiency. Faith is your desperate need turning to Jesus, the most merciful and the most powerful person in the universe. It's you not knowing how Jesus will help, but believing that he can. And so faith is simply crying out to Jesus. And faith really has nothing to do with you at all. Faith has everything to do with God. Faith and belief and trust is you acknowledging that you cannot be small enough, that you can't be needy enough, that you can't bow down to the ground low enough, that you can't be alive enough, and that you can't be good enough to live up to the righteousness of the law, which is God's holy standard. Faith is you saying to Jesus, I need you for everything. I need you for everything, Jesus. Faith is turning away from everything in ourselves to cast ourselves upon all that Jesus has done for us. It's simply getting up and going to Jesus. It's crying out to Jesus and going to him even when you can't see. Faith is simply crying out to Jesus. Going to him when you can't see what's happening in your life. And you can't see what he's doing behind the scenes through your suffering and how he's turning it all to good it's going to him anyway and saying i cannot see what you're doing but i'm coming to you because you're the only person i trust and you're the only person that can do something about this mess that i found myself in and so how do you get faith then? by hearing the word of god by hearing the gospel what does paul say in romans ten seventeen? so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of christ You get faith when you wallpaper your reality with the Word of God. When the Word of God colors your reality, not your heart, not what you're thinking in your head, not what's happening in your life, when the Word of God colors your reality. So let me encourage you, dig into this book. Find a verse or two and just rub them into your pores. That's what I've done as we've been in this series. And there were days that I rubbed and rubbed and rubbed God's word into my pores, if you will. And even then, I barely hung on. What would my life look like if I didn't have these friends, these verses in the Psalms that I've been hanging out with? What would my life look like if I didn't have them? Let me tell you this, it would not have been pretty. So find a promise in God's word that addresses whatever it is that you need and hang on and don't let go. Let it wallpaper your reality. Let it be the dominant voice in your head. Preach that verse to your heart. Why? Because sometimes life is so dark, you can't see, you don't know why things are the way they are and all you can hear is Jesus' voice in his word but that's all you need. His word, His promises, His gospel. In faith, you collapse on His word, on His promises, on His gospel. That's how faith, belief, and trust comes. Listen, this book is full of promises that you need to get into your bloodstream. And think about this. I I thought about this this morning. How gracious it is that God has given us so many promises. Sometimes we're like, you know, reading the word Reading the Bible is like a chore sometimes, if we're honest. We're talking about honest faith here, right? Sometimes you don't want to read the Bible, right? Sometimes your pastor doesn't want to read the Bible. That may make some of you leave. But a pastor should at least be honest, right? Sometimes I don't want to read the Bible. But I need it. And God, in His grace and mercy and kindness, says, Here's a book. Full of all my promises that will feed your faith. Here's a book that will help you and will be the the, the reality of your life and will keep you from going crazy if you just crack it open and read it. How gracious that God has given us this book full of so many promises that we can cling to. It's how faith stays alive. Faith is a hungry business. Faith is always hungry. Faith is like a teenager. Faith needs to eat every few hours. Faith can eat a whole pizza of promises in one sitting and still be hungry, just like a teenager. And so faith is like a teenager. It needs to be fed all the time. It's a hungry business. And the Bible is full of promises that you can feed on in order for your faith to grow and be sustained. Ray Ortland says, God looks us right in the eye and claims that he can and will deliver on every single promise in the gospel. Do we believe him? Does Jesus rule over the mess called my life or in unsparing realism must I despair? May I expect a new work of the Holy Spirit in my experience or is my past the measure of my future? If no one ever thinks we're crazy for the way we stick our necks out in trusting the promises of God are we really living by faith? Are we really living by faith if we're not staking our life on these wild, crazy, out-of-this-world promises that we have in God's Word that sometimes are too hard to believe? If no one thinks we're crazy for sticking our necks out and saying, Romans 8.28 says that God is going to work all things in my life for His good, If uh, if we don't ever do that, stick our necks out and trust that, so that people think we're crazy, are we really living by faith? Let me ask you this morning, where in your life do you need a promise from God? What's happening in your life where you need a crazy promise, and if you believed it, people would think you're crazy? What crazy promise do you need to believe with the result that people will think you've lost your mind because you're hanging on to this word? Find one in God's Word, stick your neck out, believe it, and watch people scratch their heads and wonder if you have lost your mind. If no one ever thinks we're crazy for the way we stick our necks out in trusting the promises of God, are we really living by faith? Something to wrestle with, to consider, something to pray about, something to keep in mind as we talk about our budget tonight. What crazy promise of God do you need to turn into prayer? And it doesn't matter what the size of your faith is, so long as that faith is in Jesus. It's the person you trust that matters, not the size of the faith of the person who's doing the trusting. It's Jesus that's crucial. It's who you are trusting in that makes all the difference in the world. So it doesn't matter how intense your faith is, It can be small, it can be weak, it can be as small as a mustard seed. Somebody said something about that somewhere. As long as your faith is placed in Jesus. Listen, it's not the intensity of your faith that saves you. Jesus is who saves you. Jesus is the one who delivers you. Jesus is the one you wait for. And because it's Jesus we wait for, the most merciful and powerful person in the universe, our hearts can take courage, as David says. Look at verse 14. Wait for Yahweh. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for Yahweh. It's worth pointing out again, this is the word that we've seen throughout this series, this Hebrew word for wait, uh, kavah. They actually got the Hebrew word kav, the Hebrew word for rope from it because it there's this... Uh, tension, this twisting inherent within this word. Um, It's like we're being twisted in knots, and that's exactly what it feels like when you have to wait on the Lord to answer your prayers, doesn't it? You feel like you're being all twisted up in knots. So they knew what they were doing. David knew what he was doing. There are other words for wait he could have used. He knows what it's like to be all twisted up in knots waiting on the Lord, and he's saying, wait on the Lord while you're twisting. Keep twisting and keep waiting. And so David, as David closes out Psalm 27, he preaches to himself to wait for the Lord, to live with the restlessness, to live with the tension, to live with the twisting up in knots as he waits. He's wallpapering his reality with verse 14. Now what's interesting is that the words here for wait... And be strong and take courage in verse 14 are singular verbs in the Hebrew. So David is talking to himself. He's not talking to the church. He's not talking to the congregation. He's talking to himself. He's preaching to himself, telling himself to be strong and to wait on the Lord and to take courage. He's wallpapering his own heart by preaching to it. And a few of these words in verse 14 are actually imperatives, they're commandments. So it's as if David is looking at himself in the mirror and he's saying, Hey, you, yes, you, get it together, bro, and stop squirming and freaking out. Be courageous, son. Man up and wait on Yahweh. And sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes you may have to go to the bathroom, shut the door, stare in the mirror, and point at yourself. I'd say, man up. Quit being a baby. I do this sometimes when I don't want to work out. I'd, I'd say, sissy. I call myself a sissy because it's just so humiliating. Quit being a sissy and get up and work out. Sometimes you have to do that spiritually and tell yourself, quit being a baby. Man up. You serve the king of the universe. He's in control of everything. He's working everything out for your good. Man up. Take courage and wait for the Lord. Sometimes you just have to preach to your own heart. Wallpaper your reality, wallpaper your heart by preaching to your own heart. What it mean for David to have to wait, it's the same for us. Is that God gives us promises, we have to preach them to our hearts and then we have to wait with expectation, believing that we will see his goodness in the land of the living. We wait believing we don't wait biting our nails hoping you know crossing our fingers i hope jesus comes through for me we wait in faith because we know what kind of god is we know him he's faithful he keeps covenant listen god is not toying with us he's not playing games when he makes us wait it's not like he's getting some weird uh kick out of watching a squirm while while we wait for him it's not like he's like look at this guy man he's miserable look at him squirm he's waiting for me to answer him i could but i'm not because look at him he's not doing that that's not who he is waiting is faith doing what faith does which is waiting faith waits until the promise is fulfilled faith has to be comfortable with waiting Faith waits because faith knows who God is and faith knows that, God, that what God says He will do, He will do. Faith believes that the fulfillment is certain even though you can't see it or even if it seems hopeless. In other words, faith, trust, belief. Faith is not phased. Faith is not phased, not because our faith is so special. Faith is not phased because faith knows who God is. Faith knows God's character. And knowing who God is enables faith to be patient as it waits and gets all twisted up in knots. So faith waits patiently until God finally shows up and answers. But here are some questions that we must wrestle with as we wait Are we willing to go at God's pace? Are we willing to go by His calendar? Are we willing to trust God with everything? Are we willing to leave every detail with Jesus down to the smallest of details and trust that He knows what He is doing? Listen, faith and trust and belief is comfortable with God's pace. As we talked about last week, we need to be at peace with the pace of God. And so faith waits. And while it waits, it keeps rubbing God's promises into its pores. And that's how faith stays alive. It keeps feeding on God's promises. Okay, I told you that I'll explain where I got today's big idea wallpaper your reality with the Word of God. It came out of something that Ray and Janny Ortland experienced. They endured a very difficult season. Of ministry at a church that they pastored before they planted Emmanuel Church in Nashville. They were so wounded after this pastoral uh, ministry experience, so hurt that they didn't think they could go on in ministry. They thought, you know, we're just giving up. And then David Powlison, who's a counselor and author with CCEF, he passed on some wisdom and comfort to the Ortlands. Here's what Ray Ortland said about David Powlison shortly after he died a few years ago. Ray said this, Remembering David Pallison moves me deeply. When everything was on the line for Jannie and me, David and Nan were there for us. We spent a day together in 2007. For Jannie and me, a catastrophic disaster of a year. David was an oasis of calm, gentleness, and reasonableness amid a swirl of accusations, loss, and heartbreak. David with Nan kept our hope alive. One suggestion David made became so significant that I have passed it along to many others since then. I can't remember his exact words but it went something like this. Ray and Janie, you are suffering and it isn't going to get better anytime soon. So here's an idea. Ask the Lord for a verse of scripture A promise in the Bible to help you get through this. And when that verse jumps off the page into your heart, make it the theme of your life while you slog your way forward. However dark the nighttime sky might be, you can always look up at that North Star promise. Get your bearings again and keep going. But wallpaper your reality with the Word of God. So we did. We asked the Lord to personalize to us some biblical encouragement of his own choosing. And he did. Janny was reading 1 Peter 5 soon thereafter, and verse 10 was a direct hit in the best of ways. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. We seized that verse. We memorized 1 Peter 10, discussed it, prayed over it. Jannie wrote it out on three-by-five cards and taped them to the inside of the kitchen cupboards so that every time she went to get a glass or plate, there was 1 Peter 5.10. I wrote it out and stuck it to the visor in my truck so that at a red light, I could look up and be strengthened by 1 Peter 5.10. We never let that verse out of our sight. And in ways we could not have imagined, God has proved faithful to his promise. To this day, whenever Jannie and I experience some restoring, confirming, strengthening, or establishing mercy, we look at one another and say, 1 Peter 5.10. In fact, we did so just yesterday. That word from above didn't merely help us cope. It redefined how we experience reality. It kept me in the ministry. David Pallison understood human despair. He understood how God helps sufferers. He understood that what we need is a hope dependent on nothing in this world, but grounded in God alone. The word himself in 1 Peter 5.10 has become, to me, one of the most precious words in all the Bible. God, not delegating the task to any angel, but God himself getting personally and directly involved with us in our real need. How glorious. At the time, I have to admit that though my heart resonated with 1 Peter 5.10, I struggled to believe it. Janny believed it more than I could. But David was right. And thanks to his wise counsel, I turned toward the Lord with the weak faith I had. And gradually, I was enabled to believe it more and more. And now I know at a deep and personal level that God himself restores, confirms, strengthens, and establishes us when we have nothing to offer him but our sorrow and need. Thank you, David. Thank you. Isn't that a great story? Great advice that David Pallison gave you. So let me remind you about it again. Wallpaper your reality with the word of God. Let God's word define how you experience reality, not what's happening, because that's what we do. What's happening in our life, that determines our reality, that paints our world, the suffering, the trouble, the relationship issues, etc., etc. That becomes the thing that colors our world, and we see life through that lens. What we need to learn to do is let God's Word wallpaper and define our reality. And when you do that, You'll be able to say with David, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And you might get crazy enough to put an exclamation point on the end. And you can do that. Knowing Jesus can make you do that. There's another promise that doesn't get much uh, airtime as Romans 8.28, but it's Romans 8.32, where Paul says this, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? If God gave up His Son, Jesus Christ, to die a brutal, bloody death on the cross for our sins, if He did that, how will He not also with Jesus graciously give us all things, everything that we need? If he gave his son, do you think he's going to be stingy? you, You can have Jesus, but I'm not going to be involved in your life. I'm not going to answer your prayers. No, he gave us his son. How much more will he give us everything that we need so that we can see his goodness in the land of the living? Let's pray. There are so many promises, Father, that you have made in your word, and they are all yes in your son, Jesus. And so through Jesus, we say amen to that, to your glory. You have made us stand firm in Christ. We're not foolish enough to think that we're strong enough to keep ourselves in Christ. We're not foolish enough to think that we can stand on our own. You are the one who have made us stand firm. You are the one who has anointed us. You are the one who has set your seal of ownership upon us so that we belong to you now. We are yours. You are the one who has put your spirit in our hearts, guaranteeing what is to come we believe help our unbelief in jesus name amen